Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Rafters. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome in one of the pillars of this organization. Everybody forgets that part. Okay. Oh, good one. Good Don't one. go there. Not yet. What will we talk about in our podcast? You haven't told him? Like he had just come off the battlefield or I something. know what a dream it is to work with him. Half our listeners probably don't even know what that is. Always going to bleed green, baby. Welcome to View from the Rafters. Behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. Here are your hosts. Mark D'Amico, and Sean Grandy. Well, Sean, you rewind just a few weeks, and we're we're pushing up against that NBA trade deadline, and it's kind of quiet here in Boston, right? We're not hearing a whole lot going on, maybe some small moves on on the periphery. Little did we know a big move was coming down the pike, and that was the Boston Celtics acquiring Derek White from the San Antonio Spurs. What was your reaction uh, when all this started to go public? And then what stands out to you about how he's been able to integrate himself so quickly with this Celtics team? Well, the first part I thought was, isn't it beautiful, again, that every rumor connected to the Boston Celtics, the hundreds of them that you scroll through every day, not a single one of them had Derek White in it, and it just... Brad Stevens learned something from Danny Ainge, right? Yeah, it replays (laughs) that point over and over again that nobody knows. People don't know. And it's a, it's a beautiful time to be making these deals because you can flood the market with misdirection easily. You do one little drop out there, and it's like fish food. And everybody goes crazy. And then, hey, look Run over it. there. Well, you're actually doing this thing. And then the second thing I thought of was Derek White, the player that played with, you know, played on the national team. His connection to Ime, his connection to the players in the room, the fact that it was going to be yet another ferocious, chew-on-your-ankle defender to – you make it speaking of a fish tank, it's you know, trying to score against this team is going to be very difficult. Good luck. And then the more spend time you spend learning about Derek White and learning about his background, there is no coincidence here, Mark. This connection that Ime has with guys that were not the homecoming queen, right, at their school and weren't the number one choice at the prom that take, took the long path to get there, that he has such an affinity for those guys because they're the ones that truly appreciate being there and they've had to work the hardest 
to get there. Don't ever discount, Mark, guys' personal backgrounds and connections to other players when they're deciding who they want in the room with them. Yeah, and not only did the Celtics decide that they wanted Derek in the room with them, but then he just comes here and it's, it hits the ground running as if he didn't even switch teams, right? Like he comes in, I think it was 15 points during his first game, had the garden crowd on its feet. Ever since, his, since then, he's been playing great. Just the other night, 18 points off the bench during a, a comeback win over the Atlanta Hawks. He has fit in seamlessly with this Celtics team, both as a player and as a person. I think the Celtics couldn't ask for any more than what they've gotten out of Derek White over the first few weeks of his career here with him uh, here in Boston. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview and our conversation with Derek White to talk about his process of, of finding out that he was traded in San Antonio, where he was coming to the Boston Celtics. And man, there is a lot that he talked about, about what he experienced over the last few weeks. Derek, this is your first experience on the podcast. So first and foremost, we appreciate you coming on. But more importantly, how have you settled in? It's been about three, four weeks now since, since the trade went down. You've been here in Boston. You had a little bit of an all-star break. How are you settling in? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. Um, I mean, it was a little crazy before the break, um, just with the trade and trying to figure everything out all, all at once, but, um, much more comfortable now trying to figure out these streets and where I'm going and everything, but, um, it's been fun so far. You're never going to figure out the streets, trust me. Yeah, I don't think so. The streets, the roundabouts, like it'll never make sense, no matter how long you live here. Um, you said that you've been trying to figure things out though. It's just, it was crazy before the, before the all-star break arrived. Take us through that. Like, what is it like to be an NBA player who gets traded at the deadline? Especially for someone like you, who you said when you got here, you just weren't expecting it to happen. It kind of caught you off guard. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't see it coming at all. Um, My agent didn't see it coming, so it was kind of just a shock. But um, Pop just came and he gave me a call and was like, what room number are you in? Because we were in Atlanta. And um, he came to my room and just told me that, I was traded and like my mind just started going crazy and then he eventually told me it was Boston and um, I mean it was a little crazy at first. Um, you don't really know what's the next steps. Um, you're kind of just sitting there but he's trying to hit you up and ask you all these questions you don't really know the answer to but um, I was super excited to get out here and um, play with the guys. Um, I knew a lot of the guys already so it was, it was nice and um, I was excited to get out here. We got to go a little deeper on like pop coming to your room. And first of all, he calls to see where you were. And then he comes over and he he knocks on the door. Like, what are you thinking when he calls and asks, what is your room number? I got to come pop by. Yeah, I actually told him the wrong number at first. (laughs) Uh, I told him like 1411 and I was like 1409. And so I had to call him back. So he shows up at like Pirtle's room and Pirtle thinks he's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) I should have sent him somewhere else. Um, But uh I had to call him back and was like, no, I'm actually in 1409. Um, And so he came and uh, knocked on my door. Um, We sat on the couch and he was just like, "Um, you know, we love you, but um, we've traded you to Boston. Um, And then just kind of went over how it went down, um, what their perspective was, how it's going to impact my career and just was thankful for everything I did there. So, um, I mean, it was a, pretty emotional conversation but um I mean I was thankful I found out that way compared to how other people find out 
as the thoughts are racing through your head, undoubtedly, I can picture Pop talking and I can picture a thousand things going on and your head starts spinning. How soon did the fact that Hannah is at home, pregnant, about to give birth, you know, the next few months to your first child, did that pop into your head and say, wow, that's going to be an interesting phone call? Yeah. Um, I mean, after Pop called me, I texted her. I was like, Pop just called me. I don't know what's going on. I mean, she knew it was a deadline, so she probably knew something was up. But, um, I mean, that was one of the first things, like, what are we going to do? How the hospital situation is going to work out, this and that. So um, everybody here has been super helpful and, and has helped me a lot. Uh, so we're pretty comfortable here. And um, everything that end kind of got settled pretty quickly. So we're su- extremely thankful for that. As someone who has been through it, I went through it 10 years ago, and I can tell you when a woman gets attached to her birth plan, she gets attached to her birth plan. Uh, was, she, was she freaked out? She had to be freaked out at first. Yeah, um, she was just asking a bunch of questions. Um, I didn't have any answers, and so um, it, it wasn't really helping Welcome much. Welcome to fatherhood, by the way. That's what it's going to be. A whole lot of yeah. questions you can't answer. So I was just like, um, I don't know what to tell you, but... Uh, Will Hardy just had a kid out here, and so he texted me, and uh, when I was talking to him, he's like, yeah, just have her talk to Spencer, and we'll, we'll figure it out. So um, that made it a lot easier for her, and just knowing people out here that um, have been through it and can help us out, it has really made it a lot easier for us. What's going through your mind as your next step, emotionally, physically, everything, is it, I, I got to get to Boston, right? Yeah, um, I mean... I kind of I got traded and then um, I didn't really know exactly what I was gonna do, um, how I was gonna get to Boston, when I was gonna get to Boston. So I was just kind of in the room, pacing back and forth. I mean, my phone was going off nonstop, and um, a bunch of people calling me from my agent to Hannah to my parents, and so it was just a bunch of people just hitting me up and um, just trying to let them know everything that's going on. And um, and then they told me what time I was gonna catch a flight and. Um, started packing and, and got on that flight. Yeah, what are those steps of like the new organization reaching out to you? And, and what are, I guess, the steps of kind of integrating yourself after you leave that hotel room that is with the previous team and you kind of step into that next phase? What, is, what are the, kind of the, the protocols and what goes on behind the scenes that a lot of us don't know about? Um, I mean, uh, Frank hit me up from out here and um, you're Frank just getting, Burke, the man, the myth, yeah, the legend. <laughs> yeah, he's been extremely helpful um, through it all, but you're just getting a bunch of random numbers texting you, and you're trying to figure out who all these people are, and um, they're trying to set things up for you and get the car service and everything. And then when I landed in Boston, um, Will Hardy actually picked me up. Uh, he canceled the car service, and he picked me up. So that that was uh, extremely cool for me just to see someone I – a common face that I've known and, and had experiences before. And, um, I mean, we're just driving to the hotel and just tell me about the team and everything. And it was, it was cool. And he's not the only one, right? You've got Will Hardy. You've got, you were with Emay for a couple of years, the, the first couple of years of your career, Garrett Jackson, you've got familiarity with who's also on yep. the staff. How much did that help you? I mean, that's, that's got to make things easier when you're going through this process for the first time of your NBA career. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just having that common bond with them. Um, it's not somebody brand new that you only hear, hear stories about or something like that. So um, just knowing them, I mean, even 
Paul West is in the training staff. He was in San Antonio, and Phil was there my rookie year. And so there was a lot of common faces that, that I've known, which which made the transition a lot easier. And, and then everybody's just been helpful and knowing my situation and everything. So um, I'm extremely thankful that I, I came to an organization like that where I already had those prior uh, bonds. Not to mention guys in the room that you played with, but what's more interesting to me, when Al left Atlanta to come here, he talked about playing in the playoffs for the Hawks against the Celtics in Boston and the crowd serenading the Celtics whose season just ended with let's go Celtics chant and how into it the crowd was, how he always wanted to be involved. You had all these familiar elements around you, but one of them was not going to be a Boston crowd. You have this whirlwind couple of days. You race into the game for the first time against Denver. Were you aware of and surprised by how excited the fans were to see you put on that uniform and step on the floor for the first time here? Yeah, um, a little bit. I mean, that was a, a pretty cool moment to get that standing ovation and everything when I first checked in and um, just to feel the love. And um, I mean, I've always known that Boston has a great sports town and everybody, they love their sports here, but um, it's pretty cool to be on, on this side of it. And um, I mean, they're passionate. They they love the Celtics and um I've always I've always enjoyed playing here, and now it's even better being um, on the home side. And all you did was come out and score 15 points. Like, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> like, after the day that you had gone through, your first game with the team, I don't know how much you know about the system going into the game. You probably knew a little bit just given the familiarity with the staff, but how do you come in and play the way that you played during that first game, actually first few games before the All-Star break? Wait, but that's got to be easier than finding an OBGYN, right? Yeah. That's the, easy, that's the easy part. Yeah, that was that was the easy part. I mean, my adrenaline was going crazy. Um, I mean, I, I just learned some of the plays, like, right before. Um, I didn't know I was going to play until, like, an hour before the game, and um, everything was kind of crazy the whole day, and then I was just going out there and um, just try to do what I did. And, um, I mean, I got some good looks from – from the guys and I was able to knock them down and just kind of get going from there. So um, it was always nice to go put hoop with people that you've played with before. And um, I was able to get out there and do some good things early. It's strange when you were just saying that it makes me think like in some ways, was it actually easier that you didn't know any of the plays and you're kind of just playing basketball out there and you don't have to really think about where you need to be and you kind of just float and kind of do your thing um, playing off of the other guys? Yeah, at times until they call a play and then you're like, um, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> uh, and that was really the toughest part. So I was just trying to stay out the way and um, just trying to learn the system on the fly. Um, I mean, it's still a process that, I mean, each game's kind of a little different and trying to get more and more comfortable. But um, I'm excited for what we can become and how comfortable I can fit in the system. Let's talk a little bit more about those pre-existing relationships that you had coming over here. Um, as you said, it, it certainly has eased the process of you uh, integrating yourself into this team. But how close were you with guys like Will Hardy and Ime Udoka when they were with you in San Antonio? Um, yeah, we were super close. I mean, Hardy was the summer league coach my rookie year. Um, actually, I think my rookie and so uh, second year, he was the summer league coach, so... Um, he was like one of the first people that I met there and kind of got a relationship with. So um, we've always had that bond. And then Ime, uh, I mean, he was always a player's coach and played in, in the past. So um, 
we always had a, a nice little bond and him and LA were super close and I got close with LA so that's how we kind of grew our connection and um it definitely makes things a lot easier just having that common vo- uh, a voice that you've heard before and um kind of know what know what to expect from them what makes him a player's coach um I mean he's You're not the only one who said that yeah that's yeah. why I, I gotta hear it from your mouth why why is he a player's coach yeah I mean he, he's hooped in the league before um he kind of understands the system, understands what guys are going through, um, how the league works in an in, in aspect that some people, if they haven't played in the league, might not see before. And um, I mean, this is his first year, and he's just doing a good job of um, he's learning on the fly, too, and um, having us prepared at each and every game. Could you feel, as a young player, it sometimes instinctively you can tell when you're around different coaches, who's going to be a head coach. Did you feel that with Ime? And I think we all, we all know Will's going to be a head coach someday in this league too. Could you feel right away? It takes people, I think, a little bit of time to get to know Ime. But once you kind of get through that first little wall, you realize this is a special guy who's been through a lot in his life. Could you tell that this is a guy that's going to lead a room one day? Yeah. Um, I think I did an interview when we first in San Antonio when we first played Boston. I was like, yeah, you could tell that um, – he had that head coaching mindset. Um, it was only a matter of time that before he got the job um, as a head coach, and um, he works hard. Um, he knows the game. Um, he's passionate about it. So um, stuff like that that you you want to play for. And um, I mean, his career is just getting started, but he's gonna he's gonna be successful. Have you noticed any differences in him, like here as a head coach, as opposed to your experience with him? as an assistant coach for a couple of years out there in San Antonio. Just curious, like, if, if he has grown, if you can, like, see any ways that he has changed over that time. Yeah, I mean, the last two years he's been gone. Um, he yep. was in, what, Philly and Brooklyn. So, um, I mean, I kind of was away from him for those two years, but you could definitely see the, the growth that he's made in, in certain aspects. Um, I mean, I can't really focus or think of something right now, but um, – He's done a lot of similarities that he did back in San Antonio, but there's definitely some things that he's grown and um, he's, he's learning on the fly. We'll have more with Derek White right after this. Today's episode is presented by the Boston Celtics credit card powered by Cardless. You'll be eligible to earn a special sign-up bonus when you apply and are approved at cardless.com slash Celtics. Then redeem your points for cash back, game tickets, merch, and much more. Card issued by First Electronic Bank, Member FDIC. Offers subject to credit approval. Visit cardless.com forward slash Celtics for more information. That's cardless.com forward slash Celtics. There is almost mythology about Greg Popovich for people on the outside who don't get the interaction. There's the public face that he creates. And uh, our interaction is a lot different, Sean. You know, <laughs> a lot different. There's, a, there's a big jet. Listen, it's all by design because he's smarter than all of yep. us. The wall that he has put up. You are one of the people, the few that gets to be inside of it. Players who have played for him rave about what we will never see, which is his connection to players that you're talking about. eBay being a player's coach. Most of the people that play for pop, will you know swear by him as someone who made them better and really genuinely cared on a human level is that your experience with him yeah definitely um i mean he just he tried to make you a better person um it's not really about basketball he always says like basketball that's our job but 
Um, that's not the important stuff. It's just about how you are as a son, how you are as a father and stuff like that. So um, I've learned a lot from him on the court, obviously, but um, so much more off the court. And um, I mean, I'm extremely thankful that he was my, my head coach to start my career. And um, I mean, obviously his record and everything speaks for itself, but he, he truly cares about people as human beings instead of just basketball players. So uh, that's always makes it special. How did that relationship translate into that conversation when he did come knock on your door? Because usually you don't get that conversation with the coach, right? Usually that's, I mean, in, yeah. in this instance here in Boston, that would be Brad Stevens probably giving you a call and having that conversation. In prior years here in Boston, that would have been Danny Ainge. How did that kind of player-coach relationship of also kind of a father-son type of, type of situation with the wisdom that he's passing on to you relay into that conversation of, we just traded you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he came there and like, he, he, he obviously took it hard too, um, which is, was yeah. cool to see as a person that, I mean, I had some sort of impact on him and the team. And, um, I mean, we, we just kind of talked for a little bit and then stood up and hugged and for like 20, 30 seconds. Um, and then he kind of left it. So that was, that was tough. Um, I mean, obviously it's emotional and, um, spent five years there and, He's been coaching me for five years, and he's he's seen me from the rookie that didn't know if I could play in the league or not, and to who I am now. So um, he's helped a lot, uh, helped me grow as a player and a person, and I mean I'm extremely thankful for him. Not a handshake though, a hug, right? And yeah. not just a hug, but a twenty to thirty second hug. Like, take us into those emotions. Like, what was what was going through you in those those moments when you're. I mean, you're not saying goodbye forever, but you're saying goodbye to that player-coach relationship. Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, uh, I mean, he just hugged me, said he loved me. Um, I mean, just kind of had that moment um, that was special. And, um, I mean, I'm just thankful that he came in and he kind of talked to me about it. And that's how I found out. And um, I know some teams and some people might not have got that same luxury. So uh, I'm extremely thankful for that. Thank God you gave him the right room. I mean, he would have been hugging somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I imagine it didn't take long in your time with Emei to see. He has an affinity for players that took a different path, a longer path to the league, which obviously he did and which you did as well. I want to go back 10 years now, your senior year in high school. There are a lot of players who get looked at from the time they're 12, 13 years old, and people are like, this is going to be the next guy. We're going to watch this guy. There's profile college games and all the way into the league. For people who don't know your story, 10 years ago, you're starting your senior year. You're midway through your senior year in high school. Uh, how many, what was the grand total of Division One offers that you had towards the final month or two of your high school career? Zero. I didn't even talk to a D1. <laughs> That's crazy. And when you think about it, and I, again, for people who don't know the part of your story, you had someone helping you out, putting tapes together, putting, uh, you know, DVDs yeah, together my dad. back in the day, which is what we used. Uh, who, was, who was helping you do all that? Yeah, my dad was doing all that, um, putting together all these tapes, just sending transcripts, different. It was all D2s uh, back then, um, just sending tapes, sending transcripts, um, trying anything to, to get my name out there, um, to get me to to play college college basketball. Him and, and my trainer, Marcus Mason, was making calls for me too. So, um, I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that happened. Like, I'd do a workout in front of a coach, and he'd be like, nah, nah, this is not what we want. 
or a, a, a team would come watch me and they said I wasn't even good enough to walk on for their team. So stuff like that. Um, it's kind of crazy looking back now, but I mean, that's what I went through and um, kind of made me who I am now. Most great stories like that aren't the things that are handed to people who are sort of destined for the beginning. What is remarkable to me, and this is what I want to know, how do you as a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid with a dream fight through the rejection of so many people telling you it is not going to happen? Yeah, it was tough, um, especially that the Metro State one where they said I wasn't good enough to walk on because I used to go to Metro State camps as a kid. Um, All your friends, uh, you have friends that are playing on this team. Yeah, right, right? Um, like I used to go to the games as a kid and – and like with my dad and just watch it. So, and Metro State was a powerhouse Division Two back then. I mean, they're still really good now. So, um, I was that kind of hurt when they said I wasn't even good enough to walk on. And, um, I mean, that was during the season still. So I, it, it hurt a lot. And um, I just kept working. Um, got lucky that Coach Culver got the job at UCCS and kind of brought me on as basically a preferred walk on. And um, kind of all went from there. When did it start to turn for you? Um, probably after my senior year, going into my freshman year, I grew um, a little bit. That always helped, and then I just a little bit. It was a few inches, right? Yeah, like three inches. <laughs> um, that definitely helped. Um, kind of got more athletic. Um, worked harder. Um, everything kind of just went all into that, and then um, each summer I just kind of kept working, add something to my game, and just made me a better per, uh, player every summer and was able to continue doing good things you suggest to eventually transfer. Sean, that's the growth spurt you and I never got, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it, it just story, never happened for was, us. Here's the funny part about the growth spurt. The story was that your coach, you talked about Coach Culver, knew your dad and knew that he had had a growth spurt fairly late, later than most kids have. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, my dad grew late, um, and I hit puberty late, so – I was always hopeful. I mean, my knees were, were hurting growing up from growing pains, and I was just hoping that one day it would all click. And, I mean, it came late, but I'm happy it came. Is there a message there? Everybody, kids look at players different ways, and everybody's going to idolize different players. But is there a message for the kids who are constantly being told not going to happen for you. Your dream won't come true. It's a million to one. It can't happen. Do you ever think about yourself or talk to kids who are in that spot as someone that they can look to and say, don't, don't give up until they pry it from you, that there can always be a path if you believe in it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always cool. I mean, if you go to our locker room right now, everybody's story is a little different on how they got to the league. Um, there's not one path to get to the NBA. And um, you just kind of have to keep going, keep working, keep believing in yourself, even if nobody does. Um, I mean, even the NBA, I mean, I remember telling somebody, like, when I was, like, a soft, or my senior year in high school, after I committed to UCCS, I was like, no, I'm going to stay there all four years. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. Like, it, they're like, you're going to go one year and transfer? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to be there the whole time. So, like, NBA wasn't even in my mind, but I just wanted to be the best player that I could be um, and help the team win at UCCS. So, um, just kept working and, and good things started happening. And then obviously I ended up transferring and everything kind of worked out for me in that aspect, but just trying to be the best me and good things started happening for me. 
in the the process here, Derek, is extremely accelerated, right? Like you're you're taking what some kids have from 16 to 19 or maybe 15 to 19 of, okay, I want to get to the NBA. I think I have a chance to get to the NBA. I'm going to go through the college process and then get there. You're scrunching that into like a couple years here, right? So at one point, at what point did you start to actually think this is a place that I could get to, I could get to the NBA. When did that start to actually creep into your mind that you could make it? Uh, probably during my junior season at ACCS and then after um, when I decided to transfer. Um, I mean, that's the reason why I transferred is I felt like transferring would give me the best uh, position to get to the NBA and have my talent seen. So um, when having that conversation with my trainer and him telling me that I got a chance and then hearing it from all sorts of different people, um, I mean, it, when Chauncey told me, Chauncey Billups, that's when I really was like, all right, now I really got a chance. If he sees it, then then I must be doing something right. So um, just keep working, and um, that's when I really started believing in myself. That had to feel good, man. And it, just within a few years' time, you got everyone telling you no, and now you've got everyone, including Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, telling you you can. That had to feel good. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I've, I've worked Chauncey's camp since I was in, like, eighth grade. Um, he had it in my hometown, so I was always work him. And um, I remember there was times I had pickup games when um, Chris Paul came to the camp, and I wasn't even able to get on the court because I wasn't good enough. So um, just uh, as the years went on, um, the better I got. And then we had those pickup games, and I was in them. I was playing well in them. So um, it was a long process and, and journey from, from that point to, to where I am now. Had to be a lot of tears on draft night, I would imagine, in that family. Yeah, uh, my dad lost it. Um, I mean, he, he kind of lives through me, and he's so proud of me, and, I mean, that always means a lot to me. Um, I mean, I want to be where I am here without my dad and my mom. Um, they've been rocks. They've been supporting me since I was five years old and I first started playing basketball. Um, so just to share that moment with them and um, – it's always great to play in front of them and have them always supporting me and texting me after games and stuff. So I'm always thankful for, for them too. Did your dad lose it when he found out that you were getting traded to Boston too? Cause we know he was a Celtics fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was super happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. He grew up in Boston until he was like eight or nine. Um, diehard Red Sox fan. Um, big time Celtics fan. So, uh, I sent him a picture of my jersey, and he's like, just to see white on that Celtics jersey. I mean, I couldn't do it, but at least my son could. So I was, he was happy about that. How did his fandom like impact you growing up? I mean, did you follow the Celtics? Were you a Celtics fan at all because he was? Nah, I was always a Colorado fan. Like, I was a Rockies fan, yep. a Broncos fan, Nuggets fan. So, um so he but, didn't brainwash you? Nah, not quite. <laughs> but, I mean, sports were always on um, in the house. And, um, I mean, that's kind of how it is now with me. Like, I love all kinds of sports. And my dad loves all kinds of sports. And we can just talk about any any type of sport. And um, it's just that bond that we have that um, no one else really has. That we can have our own little lingo that no one else really understands. But I understand them. So, um, I mean, that's my guy. And... Um, he's kind of helped shape me who I am today. Has he been here yet to see you play in a Celtics uniform? 
Nah, he hasn't. Um, not yet. Um, you're gonna have to get them out here soon. Oh, I'm still in a hotel, so they gotta. They're gonna have to wait for a while. And <laughs> um, but once I get settled and everything, then we're definitely gonna have them out. And um, I was telling someone the other day that he's gonna lose his mind when he comes to to a game in the garden. Just Denver, like everyone we'll in Denver, though, right? In a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'll see them when I when I go back to to Denver. Um, it's always great playing in Denver in front of the friends and family. What's the timeline to get you out of a hotel room? When, <laughs> when are we going to get you into a real home? And we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> I'm sure Hannah's loving that, right? Life in the hotel. Yeah, it's tough. And we have two dogs, so it makes it even tougher. Oh, jeez. But we're, we're working through it. We're working through I it. I don't envy it. Hey, if I can help in any way, let me know. We got to get you out of the hotel room. <laughs> we got to get you into, into a home. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen here soon. Good. Uh, hey, one thing we'd be remiss not to talk about is um, just how much special needs and the Special Olympics and all of these things mean to you. I know this is something that you've really dedicated um, a lot of your energy and your time toward, um, not only during your NBA career, but just in your life in general. And, and a lot of it has to do with your aunt. Talk to us about your, your aunt, Jeannie McManus, and, and um, what she has taught you in your life and in and help to kind of motivate you to be so passionate about this. Yeah, she's a rock star. Um, I mean, she always has a great attitude. I mean, we have uh, family parties, and um, it was always special just to spend time with her and um, just see how she handles day-to-day. And then uh, Special Olympics kind of is she likes to swim, and um, it was always cool to just see that. And And she's great at it, by the way. Yeah, she's a better swimmer than me, so... (laughs) <laughs> um, it's always cool to see that and uh, just to be more and more involved in Special Olympics and all the different things that can go into that and um, anything to put a smile on their faces because they, they always put a smile on mine and, and everybody around them um, just by their joy and happiness. So um, it's obviously something I'm extremely passionate about and I'm going to continue to do more and more with it and um, it all started from, from Jeannie. Well, for Isn't everyone it, that's listening right now, I just, I just got to say, we can see the smile on your face as you talk about her, which is, just, it's really, you're beaming while you talk about her. It's really cool to see. Yeah, um, we've always had a, a pretty cool um, bond, um, even when I was younger. Um, I mean, she doesn't let me color anymore with her, but uh, we always had that little special bond. Isn't one of the great joys of the job that you have been fortunate enough to earn that to see on other people's faces what you get to do when you give back to be able to participate in things like that. I don't know how many times over all the years I've been doing this, I've had players and coaches tell me, man, we went to visit kids. We did a special Olympics event. We went to a hospital and you're the one that always feels better at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I just did a three on three thing before I, I left San Antonio uh, with the special Olympics and, I mean, just to see them playing, um, the joy in their faces that when they make a shot or make a three and just watching them run around, um, you can't help but to smile and, and just to feel joy and grateful for, for the gifts that we have that we take for granted each and every day. Um, so just little things like that just, just make you a better person and, and everything um, when you go and experience that firsthand. There's one more gift that you're about to get, and I wonder how much time you spent thinking about these moments we had to talk to Jason after one of the games he had. 
Jason Tatum's going to do things in this world that 99.999% of people will never be able to appreciate. But one of the things that a lot of us do is when right after a game, he can score 40 on national TV, but his son will run to him on the court and he will pick him up and hold him. And he will tell you that's the best part of his day. When you see that, does it, make you even more excited for the next chapter of your life, which is going to begin as this one begins here in Boston. Yeah, I mean, um, that's always been cool to see, um, just that relationship and the bond that they've um, they've developed over the years. And um, I'm super excited uh, to have that bond with my, my kid and um, try to raise them the right way, teach them things, um, play with them, have my little buddy around all the time. And... Um, have them experience things that I'm experiencing. So um, it's scary, but I'm super excited, and um, I can't wait for that day. Well, listen, Derek, uh, after the, the the Spurs traded you to Boston, Greg Popovich didn't talk about you, the player, outgoing. He talked about you, the person. He just said you're a great human being. And I think after talking to you here for about a half hour and just the way you've carried yourself through the last few weeks, we all know that the Celtics got a good player, but they got an even better person. So... Welcome to Boston. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast today. And good luck with everything that's looming over the next couple of months for you. I know it's going to be an exciting time, but also a really fun time. And we're looking forward to, uh, to being able to witness it all. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to View from the Raptors, behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.